John 17. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you, since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to all whom you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God and Jesus Christ whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you had given me is from you, for I have given them the words that you gave me, and they have received them and have come to know in truth that I came from you, and they have believed that you sent me. I am praying for them. I'm not praying for the world, but for those whom you have given me, for they are yours. All mine are yours, and yours are mine, and I am glorified in them. And I am no longer in the world, but they are in the world, and I am coming to you. Holy Father, keep them in your name, which you have given me, that they may be one, even as we are one. While I was with them, I kept them in your name, which you have given me. I have guarded them, and not one of them has been lost, except the son of destruction, that scripture might be fulfilled. But now I am coming to you, and these things I speak in the world, that they may have my joy fulfilled in themselves. I have given them your word, and the world has hated them, because they are not of the world." just as I am not of the world. I do not ask that you take them out of the world, but that the, you keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, just as I am not of the world. Sanctify them in the truth. Your word is truth. As you sent me into the world, so I have sent them into the world. And for their sake, I consecrate myself, that they also may be sanctified in truth. I do not ask for these only, but for also those who will believe in me through their word, that they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they also may be in us, so that the world may believe that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given to them, that they may be one even as we are one, I in them, you in me that they may become perfectly one, so that the world may know that you have sent me and loved them even as you loved me. Father, I desire that they also, whom you have given to me, may be with me where I am, to see my glory that you have given me because you loved me before the foundation of the world. O oh, righteous Father, even though the world does not know you, I know you and these know that you have sent me. I made known to them your name, and I will continue to make it known that the love with which you have loved me may be in them, and I in them. The word of the Lord. Amen. 
Thank you, uh, Emily, for reading. I wanted us to kind of get that, uh, that whole chapter 17 because it's one prayer that Jesus prays, and it's an incredible prayer. Um, as we were talking about uh, studying and preaching John 17, you know, we're, this, uh, this weekend marks one year that we've been in the book of John. And um, when we had, we had set out, Jason and I thought we'd be about 25 sermons, um, and now it's much, much more than that. And so we were even talking about John 17 and preaching it in one week, um, but it looks like it might be many weeks. I don't know how long it's going to take us, but don't feel bad. I read this week some commentary from Martin Lloyd-Jones, the great uh, the doctor turned preacher from Great Britain, and uh, he preached 53 sermons in, on John 17 alone, wrote four, actually wrote four books just on this one chapter, so we're not doing that, but just an inc- this, this passage is just so rich. If I could be honest, my soul has been so fed by this chapter this week and reading it and reading it. What a beautiful prayer of Jesus. You know, some things are taught, but more things are caught, right? I went to seminary for five years to learn how to be a pastor, and I learned some good things. But you know how I really learned how to be a pastor? By watching my dad, by watching him pastor, by watching my uncle evangelize, by watching my friend Steve prepare and preach sermons. More often, things are caught than they are taught, And we are in the middle of a little, you know, mini-series on prayer. But the best thing that's going to enrich your prayer life is to get around other saints that are going hard after Jesus and pray with them. And listen to them pray and let it feed your soul. And this is what's happening here. This is what the disciples are seeing. That Jesus has always been praying and talking about prayer at the very center of his life. Jesus urged these disciples to always pray and never lose heart, Luke 18, 1. To cry out day and night, Luke 18, 7. To ask and keep asking and keep seeking and keep knocking, Matthew 7, 11. Hearing Jesus say these things, the 12 could not forget that even while he ministered to great multitudes in his life and ministry, he continually preached and healed It was his habit, the principal habit of prayer that they most noticed. Even that we talked last week, Jason preached on, they asked him, Lord, teach us to pray, not to preach, not to sing, not to exercise demons, as that would be cool. They said, Lord, teach us how to pray. Jesus himself often withdrew from the wilderness and prayed, Luke 5, 16 tells us. They had witnessed these disciples, the Lord, how he rose along before daylight, Mark 1 tells us. Went out and departed and found a solitary place, and there he prayed. They knew their Lord and Master as one. And Luke 6, who went out to the mountain to pray and continued all night in prayer to his Father. The conclusion was inescapable. The life of Jesus was a life of prayer. And prayer was key to both his life and his ministry. It's so clear that this is the one thing, prayer, that marked the characteristics of the life of the Son of God. At each major junction, at every key decision, we find Jesus in prayer. It was true at the beginning while he prayed in his baptism. It says, as he prayed, the heaven was open. The Holy Spirit came down on him like a dove. 
And God responded to Jesus and all that would hear, you are my beloved son. It was true as well at the end of the life of Jesus. What is Jesus doing in his most trying hour as he's hanging on the cross? Matthew 27 records, he is calling out to the Father in prayer. Every part of our Lord's life was centered and guided by this continuing and consuming communication with the Father. If the Son of God had to pray and chose to pray and found it such a privilege to pray to his Father, don't we need to pray? Let's use this simple definition of prayer. Talking with God. That's what prayer is. In its simplest form, that's what it is. It's talking with God. There's no pretense or posing talking with God. And today in John 17, we're looking at the Lord's Prayer. Now, historically, the passage out of Matthew 6 that was referenced last week is often called the Lord's Prayer, but that's not really the Lord's Prayer. That's the model prayer as he's teaching us how to pray. Jesus didn't pray that prayer very often. He did not need forgiveness of sins. He was teaching that to his disciples, this is how you should pray. If we want the Lord's Prayer, this is where we look. This is the longest prayer ever recorded that Jesus prayed. It is so rich. Can you imagine as John penned this, as he listened and possibly even took notes about what Jesus was praying, certainly the Holy Spirit would inspire him to remember these words and write it down for our edification several thousand years later. Jason led us through several reasons we don't pray, and I think all of them are true. But you know, maybe it just appears to us that it's just too mystical for us. Someone even asked me this week in our church, if, if, we, if God's going to do what he's going to do anyway, then why do we pray? Well, one, we pray because Jesus told us to pray. Jesus modeled prayer. Do you think Jesus knew that the Father was going to do? And I don't even really understand how prayer works. There is something so mystical to it that for some reason the God of the universe withholds some of his action in our world based upon our prayer. James tells us that. You have not because you ask not. That we find a willing God in heaven ready to swoop down and do the miraculous and meet the needs of his people and to glorify himself in the world. Yet he is limiting his supernatural work based upon the prayer of the saints. That's why we pray. Because God said, because he wants this two-way communication where we talk and we listen. This is the last recorded prayer that Jesus would pray before he would die. I've never been with anyone on the last night of their life where they knew it was the last night of their life. Maybe you have. Some of these great hospice nurses that maybe you've met, maybe has blessed your family. What an incredible ministry that they would have to sit with the dying But I would imagine the last prayer that someone would pray if they knew it was the last night of their life, it would bring incredible clarity of exactly what they were praying for. And here's what Jesus prays for. Here's what Jesus asks of us. 
this last prayer that Jesus would pray on the last night of his life. And my point and encouragement to you is this is the kind of prayer that we should pray every night of our life. We're going to use the directions up, in, and out to talk about this. And I don't know if we're going to get through all up, in, and out. Um, we might just have to roll with it. Let's jump into praying up. Look at verse uh, 1, chapter 17, verse 1. When Jesus had spoken these words, he lifted his eyes to heaven, see his posture, and he said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Remember, Jesus is with his disciples. For several months, we've been looking at chapters, you know, 12 through now 17, the last night of Jesus' life that started in the upper room of him washing the feet of his disciples and teaching him the last things. Hey, listen, don't forget this. Please remember this. All centered around this idea of relationship, of abiding with the Father. The secret of life, he would tell his disciples, you got to abide. One translation of that word abide just means rest. It means just hang out with the Father. And if you don't rest with the Father, you're going to be so frivolously doing all the things in life, you're going to miss the main connection and you're going to run out of gas. You're going to burn out. And then all of this is culminated here. It says, when Jesus had spoke these words, that's all the other things that he had just talked about. Remember, he told, I love this, that he gave them everything they needed for life and godliness, that he's instructing them, hey, this is the rule of life. This is the way of Jesus. This is where you're going to find the flourishing. And we can recall some of those things. When Ellie was a kid, she used to love uh, Dora the Explorer. Um, and Ashley and I didn't like the show too much um, because Dora just kind of yells all the time. She's got one tone of voice. She's always yelling at us to go get the backpack and to get over the river. And I've said this before, but I do find it unique that in all these, uh, all these, all these kid shows like Dora and the backpack or in, uh, in Mickey Mouse with the mouse catools or, uh, you know what I'm talking you know, these that they always have... Somehow, they pre-packed the things that they would need to accomplish the mission, right? Oh, there's a river in my backpack. Wait, there's a bridge, that kind of thing, right? Oh, I found the little puppy who needs a Band-Aid. Wait, I only have four things in my backpack, and one of them is a Band-Aid for a puppy. Like, they, they, just, they pre-packed for everything that they would need. We don't just bring the four things, right? We bring all the things. Anything I ever needed was, as a kid was always found in my mom's purse. Like we could, find, we could find everything there, right? But there's something inside of us that wants to be ready for the difficulty that we will encounter. And, and I love this, that Jesus, this is basically, Jesus has is, is given us Dora's backpack, right? In, in chapters 12 through 17. He's saying, you know what? You're going to have to have the posture of a servant. If this is going to work, you're going to have to serve. And so he's like, well, what does that even mean? They didn't get it. So he shows them, right? He washes their feet. And he says, as you've seen me do, now I want you to go and do, and do, and do likewise. And then he tells them about the, the Holy Spirit. You remember the name of the Holy Spirit that he uses here? 
a paraclete. Just like a football player needs a pair of cleats so that they can stand and move in the grass. So this is so you can remember. So we need, the kids are in the room, right? So we need the paraclete. We need the Holy Spirit inside of us. He didn't just give us some things, things in the backpack. We actually have Holy Spirit, the third person of the Trinity. And he's praying things that we don't know how to pray. And he's, he's encouraging us and he's comforting us and he's leading us to all truth. And this lesson about the abiding and resting, you can't do anything on your own. Don't do it on your own. He's giving us all these things, and this is the culmination that he's going to begin praying for them. After he said these words, it says in 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 verse 1 of chapter 17, he lifted his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. We talked before the hour has come meant the hour of his death. The culmination of his life and ministry, all things were pointing to this point. Remember the promise way back in Genesis, the promised seed, that one day a Messiah would come. And we've been looking forward and forward and forward and forward for thousands of years. The people of Israel have been looking forward and forward and forward to the Messiah to come. And now he's here and the culmination is here. It's right now. And Jesus says, the hour has come. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son so that the Son may glorify you. Look at the positional praying real quick. Remember, we're praying up. The positional praying, like in Matthew 6, Jesus goes to the Father, calling him Father, our Father, as he's teaching them this very personal and intimate name. 189 times in the gospel, Jesus refers to the sovereign king and creator of the universe as father. And we read this and it's numb to us because we've read the scripture and heard it read. But no one in the first century ever referred to God as father. It was unheard of. It was sacrilegious. You'd be kicked out of the temple for using that kind of talk. They called him creator, Elohim. They called him Lord or Adonai. All those things, yes. But Jesus comes on the scene and he says, let me teach you how to pray our father. Or we hear him pray, and he cries out, Father. And that was not just a special position of the son who had always referred to him as a father. He invited us. He commanded us. He exhorted us. When we cry out to God, we cry out to him as Father. He starts with Father. What is he saying? He's saying that those that have placed their trust in Jesus, that the God of the universe that spoke everything into existence, he is our father the same way that he's the father to Jesus. And this is the wonder of the gospel. This is why Martin Lloyd-Jones took so long to preach this. I'm in, I'm in like three words. This is the wonder of the gospel that God adopts his enemies as his children. Remember, we started off in chapter 1 and verse 12. But to all who did receive him, who believed in his name, he gave the right to become children of God. What a beautiful picture of adoption that he is our father and we are his kids. And until we get this positional, positional idea correct, we can't pray right. That God loves us and delights in us and wants us to be in communion 
with him so much so that he sent his son on our behalf that he might adopt us as his son, as his own kids. Do you see the great extent and costliness of what is happening even here just so that we can call out Father? We used to, at a previous church I served at, we had the general. Um, He was a retired general and he was at church with us and uh, it was a little different liturgy than we use and we always had an offertory prayer that was given up right before we would take the offering and when the general got up, when it was his turn, I don't know how they rotated it, but all the teenagers that were packing out the first couple rows down here with me when I was a youth pastor, they started their watches. We didn't have phones in. We started the clocks to see. And if we got the general under five minutes, it was a miracle. I mean, he just prayed everything he knew about God when he got up there. And he would start with these really eloquent prayers. Holy God, he would start, you know, and the whole place would kind of reverberate a little bit. But there's a much more personal position that we pray with here. My kids came into the room and found me on the couch, and they said, Oh, honorable and righteous Luke Allen. I'd be like, Yes, you may enter. Um, no, they don't do that. Hudson came even yesterday. It looked like he was about to cry because he couldn't get his Nintendo Switch to work. And he just sits right there in my lap and hands it to me and says, Dad, can you help? That's how we go to the Father. We go to him weak and weary and confused and angry and frustrated and beat down by life. We go to him tired and exasperated. And he wants us to come. We don't get our act together to go to him. Let me discipline myself and have a week where I'm just killing it in the word every morning and casting out demons in the afternoon and healing the sick of the hospitals and then I can go to, the, I can go to holy God. No, he says, come to him as father. J.I. Packer in his work, Knowing God, this is, this is so good. If you've not read that book, this is foundational in my own theology and understanding. This is what he says here. You sum up the whole of the New Testament religion if you describe it as the knowledge of God as one's holy father. If you want to judge how well a person understands Christianity, find out how much he makes of the thought of being God's child and having God as his father. If this is not the thought that prompts and controls his worship and prayers and his whole outlook on life, it means, he says, that he does not understand Christianity very well at all. For everything that Christ taught, everything that makes the New Testament new and better than the old, everything that is distinctively Christian as opposed to merely Jewish is summed up in the knowledge of the fatherhood of God. Father is the Christian name for our God. Our understanding of Christianity, he finishes, cannot be better than our grasp of our adoption as sons and daughters. The Apostle Paul would say it this way in Galatians chapter 4. But when the fullness of time had come, God sent forth his son, born of woman, born under the law, to redeem those who were under the law, that's us, so that we might receive adoption as sons. 
Friends, this is the beauty of the gospel. And we go no further in our theology than this. We've got to start here. We've got to understand that the Son of God became the enemy of God so that the enemy of God could become the sons of God. God is not after slaves who will serve him under obligation or employees who will work hard to please him. No, we come as sons who will delight in him and whom he delights in. This is where prayer begins, our position. Now listen, friends, I understand. We forget our identity as sons. And if we're not careful, we start living like slaves again. It was harder to get, the Israelite, to get Egypt out of the Israelites than to get the Israelites out of Egypt. Remember, God had done this miraculous rescue plan and was taking them into the promised land. And what did they do every time they hit an obstacle in front of them? Man, we sure wish we could go back to Egypt. They had leeks and onions in the soup there. God is literally pouring down bread from heaven. Honey bread. Can you imagine how amazing honey? I love bread. I just love bread. I just love it. When we go to a restaurant and they bring out free bread, I don't care how the food is. I just, I mean, the free bread itself. And then they come and ask us if we want another basket. And the answer is no, but yes, please, bring several. Jesus sends down this bread from heaven and all they want to do, they ached for their life of slavery because that, that's all they had known. And if we're not careful, this is what we do too. We forsake our sonship, our daughtership, being adopted into God's family. And we just said, you know what? I just want to forego all that and just go live like the world. Jesus says, listen, when you pray, remember your identity as sons and daughters. That's the positional praying. We, we cry out to him as father. But notice too here, his posture of prayer I heard this incredible sermon by H.B. Charles this week, and it wasn't on this, but he kind of says this as a line that he throws away, but it has just stuck in my heart. This is what he says. You know what the secret to a life of prayer is? A heart of dependence. A heart of dependence. That's why we pray so much better in crisis. When things are good, we're good. We don't need to reach out to him. We've We've, it's an illusion that we think we've got control of anything. And if this last couple of years have taught us anything, is we've got really no control of anything. This heart of dependence, this is the posture that Jesus prays as he reaches out and says, Father, the hours come, glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. There's this heart of dependence. The author of Hebrews in chapter 4 would explain it this way. Let us then with confidence draw near the throne of grace that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. Friends, when is your greatest time of need? Every moment of every hour of your life. That is when we need him. That is when we should go to him Jesus takes this posture of confident dependence. Father, the hour has come. Everything's led to this. I know this. And his prayer is that he would be glorified in me 
glorify your son that the son may glorify you. We see here this this heart and habit of Jesus. He had this heart of dependence on the Father, even though he was equal to the Father. He didn't, what does Philippians say, didn't require equality with God, something to be grasped. But he takes this form of a servant and has this heart of dependence on the Father. And he is always going to the Father. And he is praying all kind of prayers to the Father. When he's troubled, he prays. When he's thankful, he prays. Before he's lifting up uh, To eat in front of the 5,000, he prays. When it's concerned, he prays. When he's grieving, he prays. When he needs wisdom, he prays. And we only pray when things get bad. The Apostle Paul in his letter to Ephesians in chapter 6 and verse 18 would say this. Praying at all times in the Spirit with all prayer and supplication. To that end, keep alert with all perseverance, making supplication, that's prayer, for all the saints. I love how Paul says this. Pray at all times with all kind of prayers. When should we pray? All the time. What kind of prayer? All the prayers. All the time with all the prayer we should go to the Father. Praying at all times in the Spirit. As the Holy Spirit moves in your heart, as he burdens your heart. You've been woke up in the middle of the night with a burden in your heart to pray for someone? That's not random. The Lord has placed them on your heart to intercede for them, to pray for them. This is the posture of prayer. All kinds of prayers at all kinds of times. It's the posture of prayer. His position as Father, his heart of dependence, And then look at the priority. Look at what he's actually praying. Father, the hour has come. Glorify your Son that the Son may glorify you. Since you have given him authority over all flesh to give eternal life to those that you have given him. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus Christ, whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. I've manifested, he goes on in verse 6, your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. He uses this word, this word glory or glorified. We sang it, uh, Phil sang it in Psalms 46 earlier. Come glorify the Lord with me. This word glory means, means weightiness or worthness. And we all glorify a lot of things. We, we glorify the things that that we worship, that we, that, we, that we deem most lovely and most worthy. I don't know if you know it, and not too many people are singing it right now, but the LSU alma mater says about in the middle of it, you know the song they sing when they win a game, which didn't, didn't happen a whole lot. Um, they sing about the middle of it, glorify our institution. Come bring glory, glory to this institution. 
as in, you know, we, we find it worthy and, uh, and we're going to worship it. And so we're going to say, let's all glorify the, this is, but this is what the psalmist says. There's nothing worth giving your glory to but the Lord. That's why his invitation in the song is saying, come glorify the Lord with me. And this is what Jesus is saying. His prayer in this moment of incredible difficulty, he says, Lord, glorify the Son. And that seems a little selfish, maybe. Jesus prayed first for himself, but his petition is not a selfish one. His concern for himself was actually a concern for glory of, of the Father. The Son can only glorify the Father if the Father first answers the prayer of the Son, glorify the Son. Everything in this prayer is really about glorifying the Father. Every prayer that you ever pray for your comfort or wealth or even your success should be prayed, God, would you answer this prayer for me so that through my life I can bring you glory? It's not wrong to have a platform. It's not wrong to have success. It's not wrong to have wealth. It's not wrong to have any of those things if those things are means that we use to glorify the Father, to point to the Father. Everything in his prayer, he prays through the lens of glorifying God. Friends, let me remind you, without God, you can't do it. Without God, you can't do it. And without you, God won't do it. God, as you give me favor with people, help me to bring you glory through everything that I do. I feel in a sense that we should stop here. And I want to give you some time just right where you're at to talk to the Father. I don't know what your week's been like. I don't know how long you've been trying to do it in your own strength. But this is such an incredible privilege and invitation for us just to pray to the Father. So Phil's going to come and play in a minute, but I just want you to take some time right there. And would you just connect your heart to the Father? Maybe this is the first time you prayed today. Maybe it's the first time you prayed all week. Maybe you would pray and ask the Lord that he would be glorified in you, in your life. That he would be seen as worthy and worthy of worship through the life that we live. Take a few minutes and pray up and just thank the Lord for who he is and what he's done. Now take a few minutes and pray that God would be glorified through your life, through the way you teach, and the way you parent, and the way you friend, and the way you suffer.
Father, as we look at this high priestly prayer, this so many wonderful things you're praying for. But Lord, I feel like we can't even get to the other things until we look at this foundational step in our life that, that we're your sons and daughters. We've been rescued from the dominion of darkness. We've been ushered into this kingdom of light. You've given us a new name as you adopted us into your family. And Lord, we confess that a lot of us, we don't, we don't have the heart of dependence nor the habit of coming to you. So Lord, we repent of that. We repent of our schedules where we leave no margin to pray. We repent of our faithlessness in you that you want us to ask and cry and to seek and to knock. Lord, help, help that to be our first knee-jerk reaction. When we're worried that we would pray, when we're concerned that we would pray, when we're tired that we would pray. When we're frustrated, pray. and Overwhelmed, we would pray. In the middle of a fight with our spouse, we would, we would literally stop and we would pray. Lord, we need you. Lord, we need you. Lord, I believe with all my heart that dry bones come to life when your people pray. And this is what we're asking, Lord, would you move mightily in our hearts? Would you return to us this humble confidence in a God who can move mountains and raise the dead and heal the sick and help us overcome addictions and start a new trajectory for our family? Lord, I pray you give us a heart of dependence without the crisis. Lord, move in your church. Even as Jesus prays in this prayer, Father, we pray for our church. Pray for those that aren't with us today, those are battling great battles that we know nothing about, we pray. Even as you pray that you would sanctify them with the word. And we pray out. We pray for those that have not come to faith yet. Those that will believe because of the testimony of those in this room. Lord, prepare them, soften the ground that we would plant the gospel seed in. And in a moment, as we turn our hearts back and worship, as we seek to glorify you with our words, as Psalms 46 says, as incense before you, May it be a sweet aroma. It's in Jesus' name we pray, amen. I'll be in the back if you'd like to pray with someone. Phil's going to lead us to a song. Let's sing.